Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 6 of As It Is Translated Correctly. The title of the chapter is The Song of Solomon in the Book of Jasher. We'll dedicate the program and get right into the reading. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thank thee, Father, for the technology and the information that we have today to learn about these interesting things, especially today about the Song of Solomon in the book of Jasher. We thank thee, Father, that you know each of us individually and that you are gathering your remnant out from the nations that as we establish Zion below, Zion from above will come down, and by the church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven, and that we'll be part of that if we are righteous and part of that remnant that is willing to do all that you have commanded. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us as we dedicate this time unto thee. In this study, we do so and thank thee for all of our many blessings. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The Song of Solomon in the book of Jasher, chapter 6 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages 60 through 69. The Song of Solomon, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in, Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's chariots. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 9. It is, a very, it is very apparent that not every chapter or verse in the Bible is worthy of be, being called Scripture. Bible students usually consider Scripture to be inspirational, prophetic, moral, or the law of God. On this basis, there is a book in the Bible that is certainly questionable, the Song of Solomon, which is found between Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. This is a song or poem about Solomon, possibly even written by him. This biblical book contains nothing of religious, spiritual, or moral nature. Rather, it depicts a dialogue between a man and a woman expressing their thoughts in a carnal love affair. And, you know, I kind of look at it as God's love, love letter to his bride. I mean, eh, I don't know. There's some interesting things in the Song of Solomon, to be sure. But, I mean, you can look at it as, oh, I don't know why this is in the Bible. but Or you can look at it as this is God speaking about his love for his Bride. Anyway, continuing on. Since there is nothing uplifting or religious in this book, we can only wonder why it was included with the other manuscripts. Indeed, this book does not even mention God, heaven, or righteous principles. From a commentary in the PT, PTL Television Network Bible, it is written As to its literary genre, the Song of Solomon is obviously a poem of love. The difficulty is how to interpret it. And that comes from uh, that book, page 616. And we're on page 61 at 8%. <sighs> but there seems to be no interpretation about it. Nothing indicates that it was written for an interpretation, but rather it is a literary, a literal story 
of a Shulamite girl whom Solomon takes to the palace. And despite his advances, she remains faithful to her Baru, or her husband. For eight whole chapters, this man and woman talk about their romantic affections for each other. The contents of this book appear strange, even not if I'm sorry, if not even humorous to the people of our modern society. For example, the first chapter contains a verse of erotic jargon saying, quote, he shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. The meaning of this is quite clear. Their description of each other is something else. In this same chapter, Solomon tries to portray her character, but it is difficult to determine whether it is to it is by flattery or sarcasm. He says to her, quote, Thy hair is as a flock of goats. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate. Thy neck is like the Tower of David, builded for an armory. Thy two breasts are like two young roes. Those are uh, small deer-like animals, which feed among the lilies. A girl of today may not consider these as compliments. Solomon's lady friend responds in a similar fashion or in retaliation by saying, quote, his eyes are of the eyes of doves washed with milk. His cheeks are as a bed of spices. His belly is as bright ivory overladen with sapphires. My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels are moved for him. Solomon continues another series of lush narratives, quote, and we're on um, page 62 at 17%. Thy navel is like a round goblet, which wanteth not liquor. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat. Thy nose is as the tower of Lebanon, which looketh toward Damascus. Thy stature is like a, a palm tree, and thy breasts two clusters of grapes. Then Solomon makes his final passionate bid, quote, Let us get up early in the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourisheth, or flourish, flourish, whether the tender grapes appear and the pomegranates bud forth, there will I give thee my love. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 12. With words like that, he may have thought no girl could refuse. Wherever the outcome, it makes one realize that the English language is certainly an improvement over ancient Hebrew. It is interesting to note that Reverend Jim Baker's commentary on the Song of Solomon, quote, nowhere in all of the of literature is there a more beautiful expression of human love. This certainly reveals the lack of reading material in his library. The Jewish rabbis say this book might possibly be interpreted to be a relationship between God and his chosen people. The Christian ministers today think it may represent a relationship between Christ and his church. If these are if these are interpretations we get from the clergy, we should certainly question their explanation of the rest of the Bible. On the other hand, when the prophet Joseph Smith read this book, he quickly concluded that there was nothing in it that should be considered scripture. Therefore, he properly and wisely omitted the entire song of Solomon from his inspired translation of the Bible. Let's see. Uh, now we're on page 63 at 27%. When we contemplate how our modern ministers accept such works as the Song of Solomon, as scripture, then it is no wonder God sent a prophet such as Joseph Smith to help the, to help the people out of such dilemmas. Moving on to the book of Jasher, Actually, 
like I was listening to somebody on a podcast the other day talking about the book of Jasher or Jashiar or whatever, and he's like, oh, I'm I'm just going to try to pronounce this right because I don't think it's Jasher. And I'm like, dude, there's no J's in the Hebrew alphabet. I mean, if you want to try to, like, just off the top of your head, pronounce it the way it was pronounced when it, like, was written, maybe you would call it Yasher. But I don't know. I'm just... There's no J's in the Hebrew alphabet. There's there's no Jesus or Jehovah. It's Yehovah and Yeshua. No J's. Anyway, in fact, it's interesting that um, the 1611 Bible was compiled, King James Version of the Bible was compiled in the early 1600s, 1611. That's when it was finished. And the, the letter J was invented in the mid to late 1600s. So in the very first King James Version of the Bible, there is no Jehovah, I mean Jehovah. There's no um, Jasher, there's no Joshua, there's none of that, because that, that letter didn't exist with that, um, that hard Jah. It was Yah. Um, but actually, it's interesting because Jesus was Jesus. They used an I instead of a J. Anyway, it's just all interesting historical information that a lot of people don't understand. Anyway, but let's get into the book of Jasher. Many books named in the Old Testament have been classed as missing or lost amid the many revelations, wars, and migrations occurring in Judah's history. These books are not included in the canon of Jewish and Christian scripture because they have never been seen or heard of since the time of their writing. The book of Devarim or Deuteronomy was lost, lost for a long time, but eventually found its way back among the sacred manuscripts. And um, I think that he's referring to when King Josiah, uh, his um, high priest or somebody into the direction of his high priest found the book of the law of the Lord, but that would be Leviticus. But I think it was like Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Anyway, but they didn't have the law. So they, they found it. Um, during the the reign of King Josiah, and um, it's said that King Josiah convened his councils and he caused that the whole of Israel should follow the the Torah, basically the laws of God. Um, unless you know the true history, which is no, they actually um, they may not have had the the laws of God, the book of the law of the Lord. Um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, etc. Um, but the school of the prophets did. And when King Josiah caused the people to obey the laws of God, it was only after they convened a council and decided what those laws should be. And there were many vain and foolish laws that King Josiah and his council um caused the people to follow, which were not from God. Remember last time I was on this um, last episode, I was talking about the Torah. Jesus Christ couldn't tell people what I know and what he probably knew uh, because they were so wrapped up in their traditions. Uh, Because you can only bring forth so much to people before they completely go bonkers and lose their minds. But he did tell the people that to love God and to love your neighbor and to treat others as yourself was the whole of the law and the prophets. Like if it doesn't have to do with those things, then it's probably not part of the law of God. Um, It's just, like, I guess there's some things, like keeping the Sabbath day holy, but that's loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God. You know, but then there's other things where uh, you have to uh, 
and I mentioned this last time, and I was thinking about it. I didn't say that exactly right, but I think some people know what I meant. But in the Torah, like, if your wife is in her menstruation uh, or her, like, she's have her, she has her period, whatever, um, she cannot sleep next to you in bed. Um, if you sit on a seat that she sits on, and you sit on it, or I think I said that right, you're unclean because you sat on that seat. King Josiah was a teenager when when the uh, the law was supposedly found in the temple. Um, I just I, I think that there's a lot of immature things in the Bible that don't uh, that are not true Torah, not from what God gave down to Moses. Um, and that's one of the reasons it's really important not to trust in men, but to trust in God and to get revelation for yourself. You know, like if you believe that wearing a kippah is God's commandment, even though it is nowhere in scripture and was not invented until the Ashkenazi Jews invented it like hundreds of years after Christ even, then, you know, if you believe that's true, you should ask God. If you're doing it for tradition, that's fine, but don't look down upon people because you wear a prayer shawl and a kippah uh, to try to make yourself look more religious and lengthen the, the, the length of your phylacteries and your tough, tough or your... Um, uh, I can't remember. I think I'm, I can't exactly remember what they're called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, we're trying to do things because God has asked us to do things, but there's a lot of things that we think God has asked us to do and he never has. So let me think about this real quick. I'm, it's, I'm doing a live right now, so I don't have time to pause it. One of the things I liked about recording before I do the live um, is I actually do have time to, to pause it and to think about things and then to unpause it and start talking again. Unfortunately, eight days ago or nine days ago um, was my first day off of work, and my four-year-old and my nine-year-old like when I was like laying there in bed when I got home and I was like, I'm so tired. I need to go to sleep. They like came in and, and they were like, dad, can we play on your tablet and your phone? And I was like, okay, but you can't take them out of here. Anyway. So they, and I, I actually told them like, why don't you go do something else? And they're like, we want to sit next to you. And I'm like, I'm falling asleep. But anyway, long story short, um, I can't find my phone that I use to record these things on. So, and I have two phones, um, one to record. Well, I have two phones, whatever. Anyway, it's for work and family and whatever. So, and I pay for them both. So whatever. Anyway, but, um, oh man, now I'm just rambling on. Anyway, I've lost my, or my, my son, when I woke up, the phone was nowhere to be found, and he didn't go anywhere. So we know it's in this house, and we don't have, like, a massive house. I mean, it's bigger than some, but it's not as big as most modern houses, I guess. Anyway, but I don't even know. I don't even know where he, what he did with it. I We looked a lot. So anyway, um, so I'm just doing these lives like this because it's a lot easier for me to do them without having the, the stuff to record. Anyway, the book of Jasher is mentioned twice in the scriptures, quote, and the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the, the people have avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? And that's uh, that reference of Jasher's in Joshua Chapter 10, verse 13. So, um, 
I'm really having some problems with my thoughts this morning. It's actually 3.51 in the morning, and my back hurt too much to sleep. So I'm awake downstairs in the living room recording this. Oh, let's see here. Okay. A quote, and this is the second um, account where Jasher is mentioned. Okay, real quick. I I remember what I wanted to talk about. So the reason why the prophets were so upset at Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem and all of the stuff that was going on, um, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophet Lehi, Nephi, whatever, um, was because they were part of the school of the prophets and they had kept the the, the records of the Torah um, correctly. They had the true Torah, the true instructions, and they knew that King Josiah and his wicked council had um, had altered them and perverted them. And um, the reason I know this is because I have the book of Lehi um, in my possession um, and it talks about these things and it's unabridged. It's more than what Joseph Smith had that um, there's too many things that people wouldn't understand because of the differences in culture that uh, God has allowed me to have this, but I'm not sharing it with other people. I don't care who you, you are. But um, but I needed to understand those things so that I understood what was going on with the Torah. And what I understand is that the 613 laws in the Torah, um, that the 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 actual true Torah was much, much simpler than what we have today. And that the whole thing had to deal with loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Not about being unclean because you sat on the same seat that your wife sat on while she was in her menstruation period or sleeping next to her in bed. Like, what are you supposed to do? Kick her out of bed or you just go sleep somewhere else or you're just unclean. And, you know, it's a way um, to keep you down and always um, feeling like you're not good enough. So, um, and that's one of his tactics and it's crept into the scriptures. Anyway, continuing on, Let's see here. Oh, and this is the second uh, Second Samuel chapter one verse eighteen. It says, "Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow, which uh, behold it is written in the book of Jasher." So that's Second Samuel chapter one verse eighteen. Some of the Hebrew scholars believe that it contained the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and some of the other patriarchs. Dr. Lightfoot, and that's Neil Lightfoot, thought it was the book of the War of God. The scholar Giotus, or Grotus, thought it was a poetic book. Josephus wrote, quote, that by this book are to be understood certain records kept in some safe place on purpose, giving an account of what happened among the Hebrews from year to year and called Jasher or the upright on account of the fidelity of, of the annals. And that comes from the antiquities of the Jews by Flavius Josephus. Anyway, we're on page 64 of the reading for today at 37%. Several books have turned up over the past few centuries, which were thought to have been the book of Jasher. 
but many of them were eventually proved to be forgeries or fabrications. One particular manuscript, however, has been discovered, which perhaps has much more authentic, excuse me, has much has much more authentic value than any of the others. The scholar Dr. Horn made reference to the book called Jasher, written in the rabbinical Hebrew, which was said to have been discovered in Jerusalem at the cap- capture under the Roman general Titus in 69 AD. It was first printed in Venice, Italy in the year 1613, it has since been published in English, and copies are available from the Bible Corporation of America in Philadelphia, copyrighted in 1954. The preface of this edition states, quote, Long prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, the Jews had established themselves in various parts of Spain and Italy. They traded to the Bay of Gibraltar as, histor- as his- his- historians affirm. In the earliest periods of history, and Beznag mentions that in Sagunto, a town in Spain, a tombstone was discovered bearing the following inscription in the Hebrew language, this is the tomb of Ador, um, Adoniram, an officer of King Solomon, who came to collect the tribute and died the blank day. There can be no doubt that Spain, probably France and Italy, were tributary, tributary to Solomon. It is, however, certain that the Jews carried with them into Spain on the dispersion an immense number of manuscripts and sacred rolls where they remained many years and were in the 11th century placed in their great college at Cordova. And from thence were conveyed to Venice, on the first discovery of printing, the printer's Hebrew preface to Jasher shows that it was a painful transcript from a very old and almost ineligible Hebrew record and printed by with and with the con- consent of the great consistory, uh, sorry, of Rabbi at Venice, and we're at page 65 at 48%. Let me just check real quick to make sure everything is going right with this. Actually, I'm going to check something real quick. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I just realized that I can actually watch the studio at the same time that I can read on on my tablet. I just um, made the screens work well together. So this is interesting. I didn't realize I could do that. It just occurred to me that maybe I could, so I tried, and it worked. Anyway, all right. So Venice, who alone had the power of publishing such works from records as they deemed authentic, and that's, from um, I'm trying to find what um, oh this is from the Bible Corporation of America in Philadelphia and the page number oh that's in the preface pages 5 and 6 or Roman numerals V and VI. The publisher explains that whatever man, uh, may, take, may have been written and published by commenter, commentators relative to the fabrication of Jasher, I am persa- persuaded that 
they had no reference to this work. The contents of this edition of Jasher are comparable to other writings in the Old Testament. The history, story, and ethics collaborate those of the ancient writers and thus correspond with what has been written in the books of Joshua and Second Samuel. It also records the history of the beginning of mankind and then elaborates in more detail some of the other history as written in the books of Moses. The reason for Cain's rebellion against his brother were made more clear and information is given about Cain's wife accompanying him into the land of Nod from Jasher. The definition of the word Nod has been given to move or wander about. It also mentions Cain. It also mentions Cain's family. This book also declares that the art of writing was known and that some things were written on stone. There is a more detailed account of the flood of Noah's conduct. When Noah had finished preaching to the wicked, God caused the whole earth to shake and the sun to be darkened, and the thunder roared, and God did this mighty act in order to terrify the sons of men that they might be more evil upon the earth. That's interesting. And still the sons of men would not return from their evil ways. I think that this meant, I think that they meant to say that they might repent, but the people would not, um, would not repent. Anyway, about 700,000 men and women came to the ark, and as the waters prevailed over the earth, Noah said to them, We are ready to return to the Lord. Only open for us that we may live and not die. And Noah answered them, saying, Behold, now that you have seen the troubles of your souls, you wish to return to the Lord. Why did you not return during those 120 years which the Lord granted you as the determined period? By the way, we're on um, page 66 at 59%. But now you come and tell me this on account of the troubles of your souls. Now also the Lord will not listen to you, neither will he give ear to you on this day so that you will not now succeed in your wishes. The book of Jasher chapter 6 verse 21 through 23. I thought that the animals, like they dropped off their babies and then the animals that were going to die in the flood were the ones that actually um, protected Noah and the ark so that the wicked couldn't get close enough while the Blood was beginning, and I thought that was in the book of Jasper, but they came to the ark again, prepared to destroy, oh, duh, it's right here. They came to the ark again, prepared to destroy it, but the wild animals stood around the ark and began to overpower them and drove them off. Oh, it's four in the morning. Well, on the uh, last day of January 2024, that's when I'm recording this. There is also more detail into the genealogy of the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, who are the sons of Noah, who lived before the flood and died after the flood. More is related on the life and character of Enoch and the separation between families and and the earth in the days of Caleb. I, I was actually thinking about this the other day when it talks about, and they lived in the days of Peleg, which was the days when the earth separated. Well, that's interesting because um, a lot of people believe in Pangea. I don't. I do not at all believe in Pangea. And what Pangea is, is all the continents used to be one big landmass. 
actually, the whole world used to be one big landmass. When in the days of Noah, there were not great grand mountains and great grand oceans. When it talks about the days when the earth divided itself, after the after the the world was covered in water, the water that came up from from below and came down from above, the whole earth was completely flooded all the way a hundred percent and I believe that fully um when I go down the canyon that I drive down um Indian canyon uh, just for an example. I can see sediment layers. Like these mountains are great big, you know, they're 9,100 feet tall um, that I'm going over these things, but I see these sediment layers that are all level. And what I believe happened was that after the great big deluge, um, the earth that was, um, the water that was coming up out of the earth was bringing with it all this sediment. And when the waters calmed down, the sediment um, would fall out of the waters. And so you'd have different levels of sediment, which would create these different mountains. But the earth still had water upon it, even though the, the sediment was all over the place. And eventually, God divided the earth along these fault lines in the middle of the ocean, which which look like the same shape as what the co- continent, the coastal coast, the coast of the continents look like. It's all that, it's like God brought some down and he raised some up. That's all it was. He got rid of, he made a place for the water to be and a place for the dry ground to be. And that you look all over the world, and yeah, there are some formations of rock, like down on I-70 in Utah, where you can tell that there was some kind of major geological um, pressures that have caused the sediment layers to actually curve and bend and twist, and it's really pretty. And the, and down in, on I-8 in um, Southern California, you see some of this stuff, too, uh, but for the most part, when you're driving through the mountains, you see sediment layers. Oh, also Provo Canyon, um, you can see where things have, have uh, twisted and turned. But but the thing about it is the sediment layers were eventually all flat, and the sediment went down and it made these layers that are long and straight and whatever. And then after that happened, you had these um these earthquakes or whatever it was that pushed the the sediment layers up and now you can see that they've twisted and they've turned and bent and all of these things. But this idea that um, that there was no global flood, like, oh, I'm sorry, even in the Book of Mormon, for those of you who are believers in the Book of Mormon, um, it talks about in the days of Jared that they came to this land after the the flood had uh, dissipated from this land. Well, if the flood was localized to the Black Sea or something like that, they wouldn't have said, talked about the flood being in North America or in Egypt for that matter. Um, I believe the flood was a real thing. I think that there's evidence for it. I've actually looked a lot of different arguments for the evidence of the flood and I believe it. Um, And I don't care if you do or not, but I do believe it. So anyway, and I went off that tangent all because we talked about the split in the days of Peleg. So, and I think the split was just that the land was, um, that the that the land was split in the way that um, some land was um, 
was dropped down in, in the uh, the depths of where the ocean would be to drain the water off the land. So, anyway, a description is included in the of the Lord's anger when mankind mixes races and animal species and abomination before the Lord. It describes men who desired no responsibility for children and had their wives drink a draught that would render them barren. And it also made it so that their their bodies would stay um, younger for longer because they uh, were interested in sexual pleasures and physical carnality, not in being husbands and wives uh, with responsibilities of having children. Anyway, and you know what? That All of that happened before, and it's all going to happen. It is not all going to happen again. It's already happening again. Anyway, this was a trespass against God and to transgress the commandments which he had commanded to Adam to be fruitful and multiply. So that's interesting. Like, it's a sin to mix races. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, the, the you know, we shouldn't be so racist and all that fun stuff. And they're still Mormons. But they turn a blind eye to the book of Moses and the book of Abraham, which talk about separating yourself from certain people. You know, it's like these guys that are like, oh, we, we want to be in the church, but we don't believe Brigham was a prophet. Like, and they'll fight tooth and nail to stay in the church, but they don't believe that the roots of the church has any legitimacy. Why are you staying, Michelle Stone? Why? Oh, because you're worried about what your family will think? while you uh, talk your trash about Section 132 and all the junk that you that you pretend to have um, some kind of scholarly um, thoughts on, which, by the way, just so that people know, so uh, Michelle Brown, or Stone, I'm sorry, Michelle Stone does a podcast uh, on YouTube called, um, it's a video podcast, uh, whatever, it's YouTube, um, it, it's called uh, Section 132, no, it's, 132 problems. And she's always saying things like, nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures. And I'm like, I've tried to communicate with her so many times before she became somewhat famous um, and tried to correct her. And what the Torah actually says about polygamy and the instructions for living it when you have to live it, um, and how to live it and like people they they have their narrative and they don't want to interrupt that narrative with anything else so she'll say oh polygamy is an abomination and never in the, in the scriptures did God ever allow it at all and, and he condemned it all and it's interesting because Jesus never condemned polygamy for one he never condemned it, uh, and the Torah doesn't condemn it either. The Torah only gives a prohibition on it as far as kings multiplying wives and horses and gold and jewelry and all that fun stuff. But the Torah actually set, talks about um, if you take a wife, this is how you must treat her, and if your uh, if your husband dies before you you give him children, then you must be married to uh, to his brother. It doesn't matter if his brother is, or his brother is um, married or not. You know, there's no worry about that uh, as far as the instructions in the Torah. It's just that this ha- this is how God wants it to be. I think they call it leverite marriages, uh, and that you're supposed to, as a brother, go in unto his wife as your new wife and raise up children to his name. Even though they're your children as your brother has died and you are doing this for your brother, 
you're supposed to do it for your brother. And this is, this is not an abomination unto God, as some people like Michelle Stone talk about. Um, this is, is God's instruction to us given by his holy prophet Moshe or Moses. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will take their narrative and they will ignore all of the other stuff because they don't want to, to contend with it or confront it. And they will lie through their teeth and tell you certain things which they know aren't true, which they have been corrected on, like I said, Michelle Stone uh, and her 132 Problems podcast. Um, and and they, they just ignore it. They will ignore it because it doesn't go along with their little narrative. And, like, people like that, like, why are you in the church still if you think that Brigham Young was a false prophet? Now, little little caveat, I don't believe Brigham Young was a prophet either. And I'm not in the church. I believe that he said some things that were um, learned by... um, by instruction from Joseph Smith, whatever, but I'm not in the church. But you've got a lot of these people who are trying to change the church from the inside when they don't believe in the the foundation of the church to begin with, and I just don't understand why the church is allowing these people to continue on, even though they're so sincere and they have so much thought and so much love and compassion in their Whatever, but they are wolves in sheep's clothing as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, getting back into the reading, let's see here. More is related on the life and character of Enoch, and this is in the book of uh, Jasher that we're talking about, and the separation of both families and the earth in the days of Peleg, There are 40 verses pertaining to Enoch and his city. A description is included in the Lord's of the Lord's anger when mankind mixes races in animal species, which is an abomination before the Lord. It it describes men who desire no responsibility for children and have their wives drink a draught, which would render them burned. So basically birth control. This was a trespass against God and to trespass against the commandments which he had commanded to, uh, to Adam to be fruitful and multiply. The story of Abraham destroying the idol gods of his fathers and his explanation of why he did it is a classic piece of religious history. But perhaps nothing written about Abraham compares to the piety dignity and human affection of this father to his son and the willing obedience of Isaac to his father. The story of Abraham's and Isaac's sacrifice is so um, exquisitely described that the heart of him who can pursue peruse the narrative, peruse, sorry, it's kind of early, (laughs) who can peruse the narrative without being deeply affected must be callous indeed. One can only imagine that Abraham felt, what Abraham felt as he approached to build the altar in that place and we're on page uh, 67 if you're reading along at 70% of the reading for the today. As he approached to build the altar in that place and Abraham was weeping, after explaining to Isaac the reasons for the sacrifice, that faithful young man, oh, this drives me nuts, Nowhere does it say that he was young. In fact, in the Talmud, in the the Jewish literature, he was in his 30s. Isaac was uh, was a strong man, and and Abraham was in his hundreds. He was a frail man, but Isaac was taught by Abraham to be obedient unto God. 
And if God said that Isaac needed to be the sacrifice, Isaac wasn't going to fight God or his father. Uh, so I'm sorry, I go on these little tangents because of these, these words that throw me off. He wasn't a young man. I mean, compared to Abraham, of course he was young. But um, Isaac replied, O my father, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is nothing in my heart to cause me to deviate either to the right or to the left from the word that he has spoken to thee. Yet when Abraham heard the words of Isaac, he wept, and Abraham's tears gushed down upon Isaac, his son. And Isaac wept bitterly, and he said to his father, Hasten now, my father, and do with me what do with me the will of the Lord as God as the Lord our God as he has commanded thee. And the hearts of Abraham and Isaac rejoiced at this thing which the Lord had commanded them. But the eye wept bitterly whilst the heart rejoiced. And that is in the book of Jasher chapter 23 verses 63 through 64. Jasher gives more details in the life of Joseph who was sold into Egypt, and his affairs with Potiphar's wife, Zelika. I know I'm saying that wrong. He adds much about the years he spent in prison and his triumph in Egypt, which are not contained in the biblical account. There is also more recorded about the history of the children of Israel under Moses. Certain passages in the book of Samuel were obscure, but Jasher clears these up, thus increasing the uh, the credulity of the book. Also included in this book are many parables and fanciful tells to affect moral and religious purposes. Yet everything that is written in the book of Jasher is similarly found in the Bible but Jasher's descriptions are more descriptive and detailed. A few scholars examined the manuscript and have made these comments, and we're on page 68 at 80% of the reading for today. Let's see here. University of New York, April 10, 1840. I have compared a large portion of the translation of the book of Jasher with the original Hebrew and find it faithfully and elegantly rendered into English. The Hebrew itself is of the very pure character. Isaac Nordenheimer, Professor of Oriental Literature, April 14, 1840, Kingston, Jamaica. I am acquainted with the book of Jasher, having read a considerable part of it while in the hands of the translator in England. The Hebrew is very purposely written, and the translator is an eminent scholar and has done it ample justice. It is full of interest throughout and breathes a pure spirit of piety and religion. I am satisfied that this is the first English translation ever made of that work. The Royal, uh, I can't say that word, whatever, it doesn't matter, Society at Calcutta, never having completed the translation of their copy as anticipated. And that comes from uh, V. Nathan, Minister of English and German Synagogue taken from the preface of, to the book of Jasher by J.H. Perry and Company of Salt Lake City, Utah, 1887. The book of Jasher, like all other ancient writings, has suffered from liberties taken by scribes and translators who sought to change or improve the manuscript for the benefit of the reader. There is also reason to believe that many apocryphal editions were made as well. 
These inserted elaborations were traditional and characteristic of the Jewish people as they loved to embellish their favorite stories. However, the merit or fault can easily be accepted or glossed over without harm to the facts of history. And we're on page 69 at 89%. So we're almost done with the reading for today. Let's see. It is clearly shown to be a record of antiquity containing much valuable information. The prophet Joseph Smith proposedly neglected or purposely neglected to put the Song of Solomon in his inspired translation of the Bible, while on the other hand, he spoke favorably of the book of Jasher. At least on one occasion, he quoted from it as a valid historical document. He also published a statement about its publication in in New York in the Times and Seasons, Volume 1, page 127. The prophet once started stated that the book of Jasher, which has not been disproved as a bad author, must have merit as an historical work. And that comes from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 260. How great the difference between the Song of Solomon and the book of Jasher. The former is without history. It lacks inspiration or moral instruction, and it fails to even mention God or his laws and commandments. The book of Jasher, on the other hand, coincides with the Bible, beginning with the creation of the earth and continuing up to the children of Israel being led out of Egypt. It is a continuous history of God's dealings with man. It contains God's commandments and his laws, it corroborates the stories as recorded in the Bible, and it reveals further information and spiritual incidents in the lives of the great patriarchs and prophets of the Old Testament. How ironic that the Song of Solomon, which certainly lacks inspiration, is included in the Bible and the book of Jasher, which is edifying and historically valuable, has been omitted. It is another evidence of the failings and faults of the biblical scribes and the compilers as they handed, handed, or handled the words of God. Anyway, so that's the end of the chapter. The next time we come back on to read as it is translated correctly, we'll be in chapter 7 on page 70 of the Dead Sea, and the title of that chapter is The Dead Sea Scrolls. If you're interested in reading this book for free online without my commentary, uh, you can go to ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And then click on that and then scroll down to read Ogden's books. And then there's like a list of uh, URLs, uh, basically a list of titles. It's the first one. Um, and you can read it all for free. There's no charges. There's no ads, nothing. Um, and like I said, um, the next chapter begins on page 70, which I'll probably get to that. Oh, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. I don't know. Oh, excuse me. I'm on my days off right now. So and the only reason I'm up right now is because my back hurt. And I could not sleep because uh, I have um, six six bulged discs in my back from driving a truck for 28 years. So I still love driving a truck, and I'll do it until I can't do it anymore. But it does make my body hurt, all the jolts and the, the vibrations and everything over the past 28 years. It's uh, It hurts. Anyway, so anyway um, – that's the end of this. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, I'll try to get this on my YouTube channel, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, and then it'll also go up on iTunes at Zion's Redemption Radio Network. And um, I'll probably be able to get some more descriptions and links and stuff when I when I do all the things I got to do to uh, get it on iTunes. So 
Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless. And good night. Thank you.